So uh, chapters 8 and 9, they tell about a second set of seven divine judgments upon the earth. Now remember, uh, Revelation is kind of like the program that God is handing his people so that we can see what, what the events of the end of times will be. Um, and so um, these, this second set of divine judgments is in the form of trumpets. Now in the Old Testament, uh, trumpets were used to call the people together to announce war and to announce a special time, and that's exactly what's happening here in Revelation chapters 8 and 9. Uh, we saw the first four last week in chapter 8, and if you recall, it started with preparation, and part of that preparation was silence. It was sort of a collective gasp when all of heaven saw what was about to take place, what was unfolding before them, a collective awe of what God was doing. So we see silence as part of the preparation, and so were prayers, prayers of the saints. Um, we, we saw these prayers uh, somehow make heaven smell good, and that God will also use them somehow in his judgment at the end of time. So he is finally answering the prayers that have been asked since Jesus was on this earth. His kingdom is finally and completely coming. His will is finally and completely being done. So silence and prayer uh, are both reminders to us as we prepare spiritually, daily, listening for that voice of God, not drowning it out with all the stuff that the world throws at us, but listening to what he says through his Holy Spirit, through his word, and then responding to him as we grow deeper in our relationship with him. So we went from preparation to desolation. Now, desolation is a word that means barren, deprived, laid waste abandoned, destitute. This will describe the earth once, once the judgment is complete. And targeted by the first four trumpets are vegetation, salt water, fresh water, and even the stars. Revelation 8.13 says, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. So basically, if you think what, what's already taking place is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. So follow this progression. We have preparation, we have desolation, and then number one on your outline today is probation. Probation. Now, it's a word that uh, many of us are familiar with. It describes an offender that is released under supervision, a sort of parole. But this probation in chapter 9 is not because of good behavior. It is of two armies, and basically, if you picture someone opening the doors to the world's darkest and toughest prison that held the worst offenders, just letting them free, that wouldn't compare to the depths of darkness and evil about what, what is about to take place upon the earth. Now, as with many other things in Re Revelation, uh, there are many interpretations of who these armies are, and defining that has been called one of the most difficult things of Revelation. So let's take a look and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through his word, and remember that God is trying to communicate something to his readers that really is indescribable, and so he's using what limited vocabulary he has. So again, if you're able, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we read Revelation 9, 1 through 4. Then the fifth angel sounded, and 
I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came on the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were, were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings were in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So it really is something like out of a terrifying sci-fi movie. The fifth trumpet blasts in verse 1, and we see a star, a key, and a pit. Look at verse 1 again as we go back. The fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fallen from the heaven, from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So the next point on your outline, uh, the star is likely Satan himself. Satan himself. Uh, Isaiah 14, 12 speaks of the fall of Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. That word son can be translated as star. And Lucifer means shining one. So this is the star fallen from heaven. But notice what it says. Something that's easy to miss. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. To him was, what was the next, what's the next word? Given, right? Given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, we already know from chapter 1 who holds the keys to death and to hell. It's Jesus. And so what we need to notice is Satan didn't have the keys until Jesus gave it to him. uh, Satan couldn't open the door until Jesus allowed him to. Just like Satan doesn't have authority unless we give it to him in our lives. Just like Satan doesn't have authority unless Jesus gives it to him. He has no power on this earth unless Jesus allows it. Satan is subject to Jesus. As believers, Jesus rules our lives not Satan. We don't have to live in fear or be subject to him and his schemes. We need to be guarded. We need to hold fast. We need to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. But Satan only has the authority that is given to him by the one who is much stronger and much more sovereign than he is, and that is Jesus. Here in chapter 9, we see what has been a theme throughout this chapter. Jesus has absolute and supreme authority and power. So a star, a key, and a pit, a bottomless pit. Uh, We know from how this word is used throughout the New Testament. This is where demons dwell currently. 
understand those who are not on this earth. Some are allowed on this earth. You see it in Scripture. But those who are not allowed on this earth are awaiting in this pit for this day of probation spoken of here in Revelation 9. Now, this is the same pit that the Antichrist will rise from in Revelation 11 and 17. This is the same pit where Satan will be jailed during the millennial reign as seen in Revelation 20. So it is not the final place of torment and judgment. So at this point, uh, Satan's time is running very short. Uh, We'll see here in a couple chapters. He knows his time is running short. And so he's granted permission to open this burning, bottomless pit. And the first army is granted this short release. Uh, You can just imagine the evil that will be in their hearts, for lack of a better term. The moment they are released and, and are free, we can imagine the devastation that they will bring on the earth. But notice, even though uh, they mean it for evil, God is using it for his purpose. Verse 2, and Satan opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So uh, last summer when we went out west on vacation, uh, <clears throat> when we got to Arizona, there were all kinds of uh, forest fire warnings. And uh, as we as we drove in, um, you could see there was... There was a fire off on the horizon. It turned out that it was the Raphael Fire, and it burned for almost a month, destroying 78,000 acres of land. And the day that we left Flagstaff, we headed south on Highway 17 right toward this cloud of smoke. Now, we figured everything was going to be okay because uh, the highway was open. People were coming and going just like they should. But the closer that we got to Sedona, the closer and the thicker the smoke got. Eventually, we were driving in it, and and the sun was darkened by the smoke. There was an eerie orange glow as we as we drove through it. I mean, it, it was like dusk, but it was the middle of the morning, and it was a, it was a weird thing to look down the canyons, and all you could see was these were these silhouettes because it was bar- you could barely see them because they were darkened by the smoke. Now, the next day, the smoke was gone. I mean, we had just watched a, a show on the Weather Channel the night before about people surviving forest fires, and here we are driving into them, um, but ours was not a story of survival because it was, it was over by the next day. But it was, it was weird. I, I've seen the sun darkened by smoke, and you know what? It takes a whole lot of fuel to fire, uh, fuel, to fi- yeah, fuel to keep a, a fire like that going. And so uh, it, it kind of just gives us a small glimpse of what this bottomless pit is like. As eerie as that is, what comes out of the bottomless pit is most terrifying. Now, out of the smoke, verse 3 says, came locusts on the earth, and they were given power to harm those who were not sealed by God and to torment them for five months. Verse 6 says this, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. But notice, notice how they're described. The shape of these locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth like iron, excuse me, like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was, was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. 
they had a, as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Adadom, but in Greek is it a, it is a fallen. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after them. So I choose to believe that these locusts, the next blank on your outline, are demons. They're demons. Now we know a, a swarm of locusts can bring devastation to the vegetation of a large area. But these are no normal locusts. And their appetite is not for vegetation. Their appetite is for those who have not been sealed by God. Now remember the 144,000 uh, sealed Jews, saved Gentiles that we saw back in chapter 7. Um, literal or figurative. They were the only ones who could stand in the fierce day of the wrath of God. Everyone else was a target of torment uh, the way these demons are described allows our imagination to, to get a pretty good picture of the, the horror of God's wrath. These powerful enemies, armed for battle, bodies like horses, faces like men, their heads crowned and, and covered in long hair, teeth like lions, skin as, as thick as a suit of armor. Even the sound that they make, it is very loud. And it will last five months. If you think about it, that's about as long as typically see locusts around here. Now, Satan is their leader, and he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And because of their torment, death will be sought, but not found. This is a gruesome and nightmarish passage thus far. But again, it's something that we can't miss in verse 3. And to them was, what's the next word? Given power. While they would absolutely love for you and I to live in fear because of what we're reading, let us not forget because of what Jesus has done and because we have placed our faith in him, we can be thankful that this is not our future, this is not our eternity. And they have no power over our lives. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life abundantly. Friend, if you still have breath in your lungs, then that free gift of life is offered to you. But this trumpet allows Satan, the fallen angel, to take the key to hell and open it, releasing the most terrifying army to torment the inhabitants of earth. Now, let me just say this. There is a major view of Revelation that believes that this has already taken place. Um, there have been times in human history uh, when those who have experienced invasions of armies and complete devastation of everything they knew, they probably thought it was the end of the world. For example, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in, in AD 70. But as, as devastating as that was, I believe that what is described here in Revelation 9 will be on such a, a grander and worldwide scale that it will make what happened in Jerusalem in AD 70 worldwide. This is not just a single day. So that's the fifth trumpet is probation. Number two on your outline leads to the sixth trumpet. The army from the east. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar 
which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth green, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Now the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouths and in their tails. And their tails are like serpents having heads. And with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, and stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And here we're taken back to the throne room of God. The altar mentioned there in verse 13 is the same altar that the, the prayers of the saints were offered at the beginning of chapter 8. The, the trumpet answers that their prayers. This time a voice comes from the altar. Release the four angels who are bound by the great river Euphrates. But the next blank in your outline, I believe these four angels would be high-ranking demons. Because holy angels would not need to be released. Each one is a lieutenant colonel, so to speak, over a battalion of this vast army. Uh, again, verse 16, so the four angels who had been, been prepared for the hour, day, and month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So the, the death that was sought after the first army is released is at last found by a third of the world's population. Now, we know from Revelation 6, 8 that a fourth of the world's population has already been killed. And so here, another third is. And if you do the math, now over half the world's population has been killed by the time this sixth trumpet sounds. Now, some have speculated what country this army comes out of. But I choose to believe that this is something supernatural, uh, not human. But as we've seen before, there is room for interpretation. And really, where this army comes from isn't important. That this army comes from and what they are permitted to do is. Verse 17, I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So the writer's colors correspond to what comes out of their mouths. Red for fire blue for smoke, and yellow for brimstone. Now, you probably have heard of brimstone, but I didn't really know exactly what it is. Um, brimstone is a rock, when ignited, gives off a sulfuric suffocating gas. Now, I understand that sulfur has a very putrid odor. So that just adds another layer to the wrath of God. And it's a picture of what my sin is to him. And what Jesus took upon himself. The very life breath is being taken away by fire, smoke, and sulfur in this sixth trumpet stroke. Verse 18. 
Are these drink like the third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths? For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them a poisonous dart. We finish out chapter, this chapter. Verse 20 tells of those who will not. Now, before we get there, let's just uh, consider all that has happened up to this point. The Antichrist has come, promising peace, and, but actually bringing chaos and imprisonment. We have seen wars. We have seen scarcity. Over half the population has now been killed. Uh, those who survived sought death. The vegetation has been struck. Fresh water has been struck. Salt water has been struck. Stars have been darkened. Now two demonic armies have been released to torment with fire, smoke, and brimstone. And wouldn't we think, after all of this, at some point, that those who remain on the earth would cry out to God in desperation for mercy and repent of their evil. The verse tells us they would not repent. Those on earth would not repent. Now, let's just make sure we understand what repent means. It means if you're going in one direction, you do a complete 180 and go in the opposite direction. So they would not turn from way of life, they sinned. Look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should do that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. Friends, I don't think we're to this point yet, this, this judgment that's being described here. But we can make a, a long list of a lot of bad things that have happened in this world, couldn't we? Hopelessness, struggle, strained relationships, sickness, war, poverty, hunger, desperation. We could say the same thing about all these things all the negative, bad things in this world, about what we said about all the things that have taken place up to chapter 9 in Revelation. See, we tend to want to blame God for all of this when actually they're all a result of our sin. Now, I've come to notice lately the, the fall of man in Genesis 3, it, it kind of has layers to it. On, on a grand scale, sin absolutely separates us from God. But on a closer level, sin also brought sorrow and pain and toil to the human life in the garden. And, and most of our lives are spent trying to overcome sorrow, pain, and toil the curse of sin brought. And a lot of times we think, well, if I could just get a little bit more money in my account then I can overcome this curse. Or, or if I could just have this relationship that I'm looking for, then I could overcome the curse. If I could just figure out how to not clock in every day, then I could overcome the curse. But church, unless we have the right perspective on all of these things, money, relationships, work, anything else, they will never satisfy. Pursuing these things will not overcome the curse. Only pursuing Jesus overcomes the curse. That's the last point I want to talk about. 
only pursuing Jesus overcomes the curse. And wouldn't we think that at some point in all of this sorrow and pain and toil, those of us who remain would cry out to God in desperation for mercy and repent of our sins. But didn't you hear another will allow us to walk through them with hope that there is more to life than just this life. And while much of what will happen when all of this comes to an end is terrifying, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but the truth still remains. Who can stand in the fierce day of the wrath of God? Only those who will walk salvation for you. We go through the timeline and go about three and a half years into the seven years that you'll return. And there is more to come. And we will circle back around just like we know John likes to do. But as we go into a time of invitation, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. So thankful that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit well beyond this message of John. you to come. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And so, Lord, as terrifying as the events of chapter 9 are, Lord, you have given us your Amen. As you're having a seat, you can grab your Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer, and uh, turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 9, as we uh, continue our series, uh, we started over two years ago, we called it 2020 then, and we were just looking for a good spiritual vision, and so we've been uh, looking for the gospel, the gospel we just sang about from one cover to the next. So uh, last week, uh, we were in chapter 8, and uh, we have found chapters 8 and 9, they tell about the second set of seven divine judgments upon the earth. Uh, these are in the form of trumpets. Now, in, in the Old Testament, trumpets were used to call the people together, to announce war, and to announce a special time. And that's exactly what they're doing here in Revelation 8 and 9. Uh, we saw the first four last week in chapter 8. And if, if you recall, if you were here, it started with preparation. Preparation. Uh, part of that preparation was silence, kind of a collective gasp and a collective awe of what God was doing and what, what was going on for the people in heaven to, to witness. Uh, so silence and then prayers, um, they're, they're both part of the preparation. And, and we saw that the prayers of the saints, they somehow make heaven smell good 
And, and they also are used somehow in, in God's judgment upon the earth. He's finally answering the prayers that have been prayed since Jesus walked this earth. His kingdom is finally and completely coming, and his will is finally and completely being done. But we saw last week, silence and prayers, they're both part of the preparation of heaven. And they should be part of our preparation as well, spiritually, daily, listening for the voice of God. Not drowning it out with all the stuff that this world throws at us, but listening to His Holy Spirit through His Word and responding as we grow deeper in our faith and our relationship with Him. We went from preparation to desolation. Uh, A word that means barren, deprived, laid waste, abandoned, destitute. And and this will describe the earth once this judgment, these judgments are complete. Uh, Targeted by the first four trumpets are vegetation, salt water, fresh water, and even the stars. Revelation 8.13 says this, And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Basically, it's uh, if you thought what's already happened was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. So follow the progression. We have preparation, then we have Desolation and number one on your outline is probation. Probation. So um, it's a word that we're probably familiar with. It describes an offender who is released under supervision, sort of a parole. But, but this probation that we see here in chapter 9 is not because of good behavior. It is of two armies. And basically, if you would picture someone going and unlocking Uh, All the jail cells in the worst and darkest prison in the world and letting all the prisoners go free, that wouldn't compare to what is going to happen here uh, that we read about in Revelation 9, what is going to come upon the earth. Now, as with many things we've seen in Revelation, uh, there are different views uh, in in, uh, describing and deciding who, defining who these armies are. And so we're going to choose one, but realize that there are, there's room for interpretation. Uh, so let's just see how the, the Holy Spirit speaks through his word. Uh, and remember that John is using what limited vocabulary he has to describe something that really is indescribable. If you're able, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we start Revelation 9, 1 through 12. The word of God says this. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or anything green or any any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill, but to torment for, for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. 
On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and they stood, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and, they, and, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek his name is Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So you can go ahead and tell your neighbor, okay, this is getting weird. Go ahead and tell them. I mean, we can just admit that. That's, that's okay. But it, it's like something uh, out of a terrifying sci-fi movie. Uh, this, this fifth trumpet, it blasts. And in verse 1, we see a star, a key, and a pit. Notice there. Let's read it again. The fifth angel sounded. I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, this star is likely Satan himself. It's likely Satan himself, and you can write that down in your outline. Isaiah 14, 12 speaks of the fall of Lucifer, and it says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. That word sun can be translated star, and Lucifer means shining one. So this is probably the star fallen from heaven. But notice what it says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was, what's the next word? Okay, are you, are you with me here? Uh, you're not, are you? Okay, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, are, are you with him? Are we, are we all together? Wake up. Okay, so I need your help here. I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given, there we go, given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, we already know who holds the key to death and hell in chapter 1. And that is Jesus. And so... Let's not miss the fact that Satan didn't have the key until Jesus gave it to him. Satan couldn't open the door until Jesus allowed him to. Just like he doesn't have any authority in our lives unless we allow him to. Just like he doesn't have any power on this earth unless Jesus allows it. Satan is subject to Jesus. And as believers, Jesus rules our lives not Satan. So we don't have to be in fear or subject to him or his schemes. We, we need to be guarded. We need to hold fast. We need to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. But Satan only has the authority given to him by the one with much, much more sovereign power than he has. And that's Jesus. Here in chapter 9, we see what has been a theme throughout the book. Jesus has supreme authority and power. So we have a star, a key, and a pit. The pit is the bottomless pit. We know how this word is used throughout the New Testament. This is where demons dwell currently. This is what I understand. Um, those demons who are not allowed on this earth, they're waiting in this pit for this day of probation that chapter 9 is speaking of. This is the same pit the Antichrist will rise from in Revelation 11 and 17. This is the same pit where Satan will be jailed during the millennial reign as seen in Revelation 20. 
So this first army is granted a short release. And we can only imagine the evil that will be in their hearts, for lack of a better term, the moment they are free. I mean, we, we can imagine the devastation that they will bring on earth, but notice, even though they mean everything for evil, God uses it for his purposes. Look at verse 2. Satan opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. When we went on uh, vacation out west last summer, we were going into Arizona, and there were all sorts of warnings of the forest fire that was going on. As it uh, turns out, it was the Raphael fire, and it burned over 78,000 acres of land almost for a month. And, and the day that we left Flagstaff, we headed south on Highway 17, right towards the cloud of smoke. I mean, you could see it off in the distance, but now we were headed towards it. And we thought, okay, everything's going to be fine. I mean, people were coming and going just like they should. But the closer that we got to our stop in Sedona, it began to get really eerie. I mean, we were, we were driving in the smoke. Now, it didn't help that we had just watched something on the Weather Channel the night before uh, about people who had survived uh, forest fires. Now, ours was not a story of survival because uh, the next day it was gone. But when we were in the midst of that smoke, it was, it was a weird dusk. Look, an orange glow. When you look down in the canyons, all you could see was silhouettes of these massive cliffs. It was just an eerie feeling. So think about how much fuel it takes to, uh, for that fire to continue to burn at that level. That, that gives us a small glimpse of what's going on here, this bottomless pit of hell. And as eerie as that is, what is truly terrifying is what's coming out of them. Verse 3 uh, says, out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And it tells us that they were given power to harm those who are not sealed by God and to torment them for five months. Verse 6, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Notice how they're described. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there, there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as them king over them, the angel of the bottom, bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek it is Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, two more are still to come. Okay, so the next blank on your outline. These locusts are likely demons. The locusts are demons. Now we know that a, a swarm of locusts can bring devastation to the vegetation of a large area, but these are no normal locusts. Their appetite is not for vegetation. Their appetite is for those who have not been sealed by God. Remember in chapter 7, the 144,000 Jews and Gentiles, uh, literal or figurative, they were the only ones who could stand in the day of the fierce wrath of God. Everyone else had a target of torment and torture on them. The way these demons are described allows our imaginations to get a pretty good picture 
of the horror of God's wrath. This is a powerful enemy, armed for battle, bodies like horses, faces like men, their heads crowned and and covered in long hair, teeth like lions, skin thick like a suit of armor. Even the sound they make terrorizes, and it will last five months. That's about as long as the season that we see locusts around here. Satan is their leader. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And because of their torment, death is sought, but it's not found. This is another uh, gruesome and nightmarish passage thus far. But notice something that's easy to miss in verse 3. It says, and to them was, what's the word? Given. Very good, very good. Given power. See, let's not miss that again. Just like the key of hell was given to Satan. These demons cannot go any further than what Jesus allowed. They have no more power than Jesus gives them. And while they would absolutely love for you and I to live in fear because of what we're reading, let us not forget because of what Jesus has done and because we have placed our faith in him, we can be thankful that this is not our future and this is not our eternity. They have no power over our lives. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life abundance. Friend, you've never surrendered to him. This is your reality. But you have a chance to repent. The fifth trumpet allows Satan, the fallen star, to take the key to hell and open it, releasing a most terrifying army to torment the inhabitants of earth. Now, let me just say this. There is a major view of Revelation that believes this has already taken place. Uh, There have been times in human history when those who have experienced invasions of armies and complete devastation of everything they knew, they thought it was the end of the world. Uh, For example, the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. But as devastating as that was, I believe what is described here in Revelation chapter 9 will be on a such grander scale that the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70 will pale in comparison. This is worldwide invasion, not just a single area. Number two on your outline is the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet. Let's pick it up in verse 13. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Verse 20, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold 
silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality or their theft. But here, the second half of chapter 9, we are brought back to the throne room of God. The altar mentioned there in verse 13 is the same altar the prayers of the saints were offered on in the beginning of chapter 8. These trumpets answer their prayers. This time a voice comes from the altar. Release the four angels bound at the river Euphrates. So the next blank on your outline. These angels are likely high-ranking demons. High-ranking demons. Because holy angels don't need to be released. Each one of these is a lieutenant colonel over a battalion of this vast army. And so, verse 15, the the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So we see the death that was sought after the first army's release is at last found by a third of the world's population. Now, if we go back and look, Revelation 6, 8 uh, says that a fourth of the world's population was killed then. And so by now, uh, you add another third, that's over half of the world's population has been killed by the time the sixth trumpet sounds. Now, some have speculated what country this army comes out of, but I choose to believe that this army is on a supernatural level, not human. But as we've seen before, there's always room for interpretation. And really, where this army comes from is not important. That this army is coming is, and what they are allowed to do is important. Verse 17, Thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horse were were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So the writer's colors correspond to what comes out of their mouths. Red for fire, blue for smoke, and yellow for brimstone. Now we've probably heard of brimstone. The old time preachers, they preached hellfire and brimstone. But I didn't really know exactly what it was until I looked it up. Brimstone is a rock that when it's ignited, it gives off a sulfuric suffocating gas. And sulfur has a very putrid odor to it. And so this adds just another layer to God's wrath. And it's another picture of what my sin is to God. And another picture of what Jesus took upon himself because of my sin. The very life breath is being taken away by fire, smoke, and sulfur in this sixth trumpet judgment. Verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. So, verse 20 tells of what happens uh, to those who remain. But before we read that again, let's just consider all that has happened here up to Revelation 9, 19. The Antichrist has come, and he has promised peace But he's actually brought chaos and imprisonment. We see war and scarcity. Over half the population has been killed. Those that survived sought death. The vegetation has been struck. 
salt water and fresh water have been struck. The stars have been darkened and now two demonic armies have been released to torment with fire, smoke, and brimstone. And wouldn't we think at some point in all of this that those who remain would cry out to God in desperation for mercy and repent of their evil. But that's not what happens. The next blank on your outline. They would not repent. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their immorality, or their thefts. My friends, I, I be- believe that we're not living in this judgment yet. But we can make a long list of things, negative things, bad things that have happened and are happening in our world. Depression, hopelessness, struggles, strained relationships, sickness, war, poverty, hunger, desperation. And we could say the same thing about all of these things that we've said about everything that's taken place up until chapter 9, verse 19 here in Revelation. See, we tend to want to, to blame God for all this, when in actuality, it's a result of our sin. And I've come to, to observe lately, Genesis 3 is, is the fall of man. And, and it kind of has layers to it. On, on a grand scale, sin absolutely separates us from God. But on a closer level, uh, Genesis 3.19 says that sin also brought sorrow, pain, and toil. And most of our lives, if we are not in Christ, if we don't know Him... Sometimes even when we do know him, we are trying to overcome this sorrow, pain, and toil this curse of sin has brought. Have you ever, ever come to, had, had these thoughts, you know, if I could just get a little bit more money in my account, then I could overcome this curse. If I could just have a relationship with this person, then I could overcome the curse. If I could just figure out how to not clock in every day, then I could overcome the curse. But church... Unless we have the right perspective on any of these things, money, work, any of this stuff, relationships, they will not satisfy. Pursuing these things will not overcome the curse. Only pursuing Jesus will. That's the last blank on your outline. Only pursuing Jesus overcomes the curse. And we would think, At some point in all of this sorrow, pain, and toil, that those that remain would cry out to God in desperation for mercy and repent of their evil. Here in Revelation, they did not. So the question is for us. Have we? Have you? With breath still in your lungs, God's grace gives you the opportunity to surrender to his free gift of life. And it doesn't mean that he'll take away all of these bad things in our lives, but he will help us see them differently. He will allow us to walk through them with hope that there is more to this life than just this life. And while much of what, it, what happens when it comes to the end is, is terrifying, 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, and the truth remains. Who can stand in the fierce day of God's wrath? Only those washed in the blood of the Lamb. I wonder if there are any among us this morning who have not come to that conclusion. We, we sing about it. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. Surrender is where a lot of people have, have trouble with. Could today be the day of salvation? If you look at the timeline of Revelation, we are now about three and a half years in the seven-year tribulation. And there is more to come. And we will circle back around to some things because we know that's how John likes to write. But as we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment and answer the questions that we always like to answer at this time? What has God said to you through his word? And what are you going to do about it? I'm thankful that the Lord speaks to us well beyond what the messenger says. And I, I admit, um, man, some of this stuff is very confusing, but it, we don't have to panic. We just need to trust. So what has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it? Lord, we just want to invite you to come, and we thank you that you, you do meet us where we are, and that you are listening to our prayers. Uh, Lord, if there are any among us who have never come to saving faith, never surrendered their lives, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for handing us this program to the end of time. Help us to continue to trust. Give us the strength, Lord, to hold fast in our faith, to not be okay with living unholy lives, to not be okay with living in sin. But Lord, that we would continue to move forward in our faith, continue to live on mission. Help us to pursue you, Lord, because you are the only way that we can overcome the curse of sin. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.